So we're going to dismiss the blast children at this point. I was encouraged to hear from my own children this week that um, I was hearing some national, uh, you know, scuttlebutt about how the kids don't even know what September 11th is anymore. And so I was encouraged when my own children came home from Highland schools and, and the area schools, and they were saying, oh, we already watched three videos, and we talked about it in class. And, and I was like, you know, thank God we're in a, we're in a, we have teachers in, who are sensitive to that need to, uh, to remember It was funny, I even shared with you that, um, that Nathan uh, was six at the time, and he was, we were telling himself last night at the dinner table, and he's like, I don't even remember that. He doesn't remember it. We were sure that he would. Well, this week, we're going to continue, and all these things work together. I believe God's timing is perfect. I think it's true for, in my life, and I, I think it's true in your life. I'm not sure if you're aware of that sensitivity. I'm not sure if you know that that's perfect timing in God's, you know, sovereignty over that. But, um, but this morning, this entire day, we're going to kind of talk about these same things. We're going to start a new series called Love and Marriage. And I promised you that we would. And, and uh, I'm excited to uh, get into this today. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, if, you don't, if you don't know this about me, I'm a huge fan of marriage. Like, and that might sound dumb, but I'm not sure, I'm sure that everyone isn't a huge fan of marriage, especially if you listen to how we talk to one another about it. You know, like, you know, we make comments like the old ball and chain and, you know, um, um, there's some really crude things I, I can't say in church, you know, about guys hate all the guys when they put a ring on their finger, you know, they, they're like, you know, well, it's over, you know, um, it's not true. Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, I really want to spend some time talking about God's sovereignty and his plan for us as, as his created beings. And I think it's a huge, huge deal. Um, so this morning we're going to lay some groundwork, you know, theologically, I'm super excited. I always love the word of God. I hope you do too. I hope you're reading it regularly. There's no mystery or, or um, you know, people always say, oh, I don't know what that means. Just, I would encourage you to read it for yourself. If, if you can get into a small group study, whether that's a men's Bible study, one of the family groups here or something else, and, and you can just walk through the word of God, I'm telling you, there's treasure to be found in here and it will change your life. It will change your life forever. And so I would encourage you to engage directly in the conversation. But we get our... our uh, our understanding of marriage from the Word of God. That's where I get mine anyway. But the truth be told that whenever I originally got married, the reason I'm a fan is because I have a lovely wife. And I say that because it's just true. And I think that if you're married, you have a lovely wife. And I hope you believe that's true about your wife. Um, I, I didn't see it at the time, but in hindsight, looking back, I see God's sovereignty over everything, even the messes, even the mistakes, you know? And that's a pretty cool place to live your life, to be able to see that God's hand has been with you continually. It's true for you. I'll say this. Even if you're here today and you don't really believe what I believe about Jesus Christ, even if you're here today and you don't really believe what I believe about God, I believe he's still sovereign over you today. And that's a pretty crazy thing to understand that, to look back and realize he's always been there. He never left. That's the kind of God we, we serve. But I'm a huge fan of marriage. I think it's like one of the coolest things. I get excited when people get engaged. I get excited whenever I get to be involved in a wedding. I get excited to do premarital counseling with people. I get excited to talk about marriage. And so uh, I'm excited about this whole series. We're going to do some very practical things. But I want to kind of, here's one of the hard things I've realized after some time in marriage. We've been married for 17 years, 16 years. Yeah, see? It only feels like five, honey. So excited about that. But we've been married for uh, 17 years. And um, I, I realize here's the problem. As, as someone who is living, here's the issue. When you're, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
okay, and you're on your own, you can kind of make up how you are. You can kind of pretend that you are how you are. You know, you can like, you make your, your soundtrack of your life better in your head than it is really. You know, you play yourself as the good guy. And uh, here's the thing. When you're living with someone else who's also a follower of Jesus Christ, and my mom and wife is, then all of a sudden you have this realization of how you're treating one another. And, and it's kind of really hard. You see, I've come to believe, and this is no bragging rights for me, this is conviction for me, but I've come to believe that there are times where how I treat the person that God has given me in my life says more about what I believe about God and his plan than it says about who she is. Does that make sense? It's usually after I do something really stupid, and I'm not a very nice guy. And then I realize, wow. I just get like, oh, no, did that just happen? Not because I'm in trouble for a week, because that's okay. I'm in trouble a lot, you know. But, but that I treated my wife, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who's loved by God, here's the thing, who's made in the image of God like she wasn't worth it. This is the problem even when we talk about things like September 11th and things, that when we look at another human being and we don't see the image of God in them, there's a real fundamental problem there. Because the word says that all men were created in God's image. And it doesn't say some men or some women were. The special ones were or the ones that look like you were or the ones that like you were created in his image. It says all men were created in God's image. And so therefore, if I can't, and this is where it happens most intimately is in marriage. Because most people on the street, if I'm rude to them, I can just move on and pretend that I wasn't that rude. But when you're living with someone 24 hours a day, you know you violated the image of God in them. So my hope is that over the next six weeks that we're going to be able to look at what we're doing in our marriages and our relationships. This is going to be like all relationships, but specifically we're going to look at marriages, dating relationships, and we're going to ask the question, am I honoring who they are in Christ or am I not? Okay? And it's not going to be all drag. We're going to do some really fun stuff. And our prayer is that for you, when you leave, you will look at marriage and uh, life together differently than you look at it now, and that you'll actually be further down the road uh, having successful uh, relationships. And even if you're yet to be married, you will start to think about, well, what do I really expect of this? And we're going to spend some time there today as well. So um, I hope that this is true, not just for our marriages, but for all our relationships, that we believe that God is sovereign in them and that we can see how he's using other people to shape us to be more like Jesus. The people who are challenging shape us to be more like Jesus. The people who are our good, good friends shape us, hopefully, hopefully, to be more like Jesus. And so that's kind of the prayer today as we, uh, as we begin this series, that we could see all relationships in our lives as uh, sovereign, as God's sovereignty over them. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We always do this when we open the Word of God, and we're going to open the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible today, I hope you, br- you get one. If you didn't bring one, I hope you start bringing your Bible to church. We have them on the end of the, the seats. They don't have pews here, right? We've got chairs. But we have them on the end of the chairs. But I really think it's important. It says something that if you don't have your Bible and you're not reading it. I think it's so, so important. It says something about how serious you are about learning who God is and what his plans are in your life. Okay, And so I hope that you would bring your Bible to church. I hope you would read it through the week. That's going to be a challenge we're going to throw out there every week, so I hope you'll do that. But as we open the Word of God, we're going to ask him who spoke it to reveal truth through it to us. That's why we do this. So join me in prayer, please. Father God, we've come here to your house today to worship you and to praise you and to proclaim the good news about what you've done for the world. And yet the truth is, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing of value, not even utter a word of truth without you. And so today we ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly in me and in us as a church community, that, w- that truth could be known. 
Father God, that you would not only be sovereign over the speaking of my mouth, but the hearing of all of our ears, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of what you have for us today, and that we wouldn't leave here being disappointed by men, but being encountered by the living God who has still not stopped, who has still not quit on us. I, I, I pray, Father, today that you would open our minds to the truth of your word and that we would no longer be conformed to the waves of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your word. I give you praise and glory because you are so beautiful and worth it. And I trust you with this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so I'm going to, um, we're going to kind of walk through, and today I said we're going to lay the foundations for this series. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the very beginning of the, of the book. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of ours. There's no guilt in that. And use one of the Bibles at the end of the rows. Um, but you're going to open to like the first page, I think the page two. Because we're going to start in the beginning when we talk about this. And I want to lay a foundation uh, about what this whole marriage thing is about and how it's applicable to everyone. What we're going to talk about is applicable to everyone. So um, today I'm going to ask you to turn the first. The, by the way, if you didn't grab one of these cards, I hope that you would or you will or you have um, one of these. And this is just, I think Corey talked about it earlier, but this is just an engagement sheet. Um, place for you to take notes, to doodle, to do whatever. There's fill in the blanks, trying to engage you in the conversation just so that you can participate more than just listening to me up here, you know, uh, speaking. So that's why we do that. We hope you'll take advantage of that as well. But the first thing we're going to talk about today is that you and I were created, first of all, and that's kind of a shocker for most people. They, they think we kind of climbed out of a primordial pool or something. I mean, I believe that whatever you happen to believe about your science, that God breathed life into us, right? And therefore, we return our breath to him in praise and glory. But you and I were created for relationship, okay? And we're going to see that in the very beginning of the Bible. So if you've already turned to page two in our Bibles, Genesis 2, um, we're going to look at this together. Let me push that one more time, and you'll see where we are. Genesis 2, we're going to read in 18. But I want to actually back up. I always do this to you guys. It's so hard to pick a spot to start reading Scripture. But I actually want to back up, and I want to read um, Genesis 1, verse 27, because I've already mentioned it today, okay? And so this is a fundamental truth. This is like the first page of the Bible, and this is what God said. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right? And so there's a, a creation narrative. But this is where it says that God, it, it, you know, put his image into every person he created. And so uh, in his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? And we're going to get into that because some of you are like biblical scholars. And you're like, well, that's, that's not exactly how it went down. We're going to read that part. But I, I did want you to know that he did infuse us with his image. Part of what we believe about what Jesus Christ has done through his salvation and sanctification is restoring the image of Christ, which is the image of God, in us. We become more like God and more reflective of his glory. And so, um, so that's where I want to start. But here we're going to read in verse 18 of the second chapter of, Ge of uh, Genesis. Read with me. So the Lord God, by the way, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. Yahweh God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground, listen, all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. Okay, so we're already past the creation narrative where God had made everything. 
And the last thing that he made, and if you look at the very end of chapter 1, he made man, and he said, it is very good. It was very good. He had given us plants to eat. He had given us animals. And here it says, he brought, uh, he had made all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. So he, God brings them before the man, Adam, to see what he would name them. And whatever he called each living creature, that became its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field, right? And so Adam is bringing all these animals before him, and he's, he's giving them names, what he wants to call them, you know? But this isn't what it says next in the word. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So in all the creation, there was, no, there was no, nothing for Adam directly. So listen to what, what the word says. So Yahweh God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and when he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed the place up with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. The word goes on to report, it's for this very reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's a pretty cool way to start the story of us, is that God created everything. And I want you to see here that God had created all this stuff and said it was very good. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. And so in this place of beauty and creation and perfectness, this is, by the way, before sin entered the world, right? Before man chose to sin against God, this is perfect. And he made Woman. I love that story about how he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I love that her name is woman, right? Um, there was something about her that, that Adam was struck by. He was, I, I mean, there's a lot of animals in the world, right? Can you imagine how, how frustrated you become if you could find nothing that was like you? See, here's something interesting about our, our culture right now is there's this, there's this idea that we spend more and more time alone, but we weren't created to be alone. We were created to be in relationship. As a matter of fact, even the animals, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field were created for Adam to enjoy, right? They were like sort of companions. My dog is my best friend. Not really. He's a dog, but he's pretty cool. I want you to think about that. Adam's being the only person on the planet, and God's bringing all this creation. Adam's going, hey, that's cool, God. Not sure that's going to work for me, but I can pet that, sure. You know, I'll call it dog. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the cat's cool. I have a hard time with that, by the way. I'm allergic to cats. Um, uh, put them on the other side of the garden. Thanks, Father. Um, you know, uh, even the snake. Oh, the snake's cool. Look at a snake. They can talk and stuff. All right. So... So, you know, we, you have Adam in the situation where he's just, and I could just, you can sense in the scripture, it says that while he was naming all the animals and God's bringing them before him, Adam's like, this isn't going to work. You're, you're really doing a good job here. This isn't really going to work for me. And God says, I got a plan. And he puts him to sleep and he creates a woman. And Adam wakes up and he's like, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's pretty cool. So that becomes the story of our relationship, our need for relationship. 
Men and women were created to be in relationship with one another. Now, I will share something else with you as well. Um, in this narrative, I, I want to say that, there, that we have, uh, they've been told to um, uh, subdue the earth, and they've been told to um, procreate. So that's really cool. Thank God for that. And I think that, but I, I, wanna, I don't want to push too quickly here because we're going to kind of pull back now and talk about what it means. We have this thing in our culture where it's like uh, isolationism, you know, where you're doing your, you're by, by yourself, all by yourself. And we have a tendency to create environments that isolate us from other human beings. But the truth is, and we're losing that ability to interact face to face. That's a big deal. Because we were created to be in relationship. We're created to have friends around us. We're created to have male and female friends. So I'm not just talking about marriage relationships. We're, we're created to be together in community. We're, we're communal beings. And so I think that we're missing that if we don't see that when God said it was very good, whenever he created Eve to be with Adam, it was about relationship. Not only marriage, although we get our first verse here about the reasons, the motivations of man. So I wanted to point that out, that this is a normative state, is that we were created for relationship. Now, I also want to point out one more thing to you here. I've already mentioned you, this is before that uh, Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, like you and I have chose to sin against God. And, and therefore, there's another relationship where they can, like Adam's going, this is cool, but this isn't going to work for me, right? Because he was able to be in relationship with God in that same way. So you and I were created for relationship. Now, the reason I want to start here is because I want to say something about um, who we are in Christ and what this call to relationship really looks like, okay? And so what I wanted to say to those of you uh, who are here and you're like, well, this is going to be a great series for me because I'm not married, so this isn't going to apply. I don't think that's true. I want to say something to, uh, to you guys today as well because all of us started out single. You know, I'm not sure if you were born married, but I wasn't. You know, I was born free and clear, man. I was single, you know, came out. I was screaming. It was good. Got a lot of attention that way. All right. So, so, I mean, we're, we're all, we were all single at one time. And so I want to turn a little bit here in this series on love and marriage, because we all start off in the state of not being married. And I want to turn for a moment here and I want to remember the process. And I want to hear what God has to say about where we are in our lives. And that comes from the word of God. And so the, the next point I want to make to you this morning is that singleness is not brokenness. Because I think one of the risks we can take when we go into talking about love and marriage and things like that, we can say, well, it, but if you're incomplete somehow, right? If you're not married, you haven't arrived yet. I'm going to tell you that's a lie. That's not true. And the Bible never says that that's the case. It's a, there's a great narrative about our need for relationship, but it does not say that if we are not married, we're half a person. We're not fulfilled. And I want to share with you this morning a writing from the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to ask you to turn the book of 1 Corinthians, or, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to jump around a little bit, um, but you can see it's on page 794, 1 Corinthians 7. Paul did a great job here. I, I, I thank God for this passage because otherwise we could really, especially people who are married, can assume things. And this is the way it's normative. This is the way it should be. 
the letter of Corinthians was Paul writing to a church. Now, this is, I've just jumped from Genesis before the fall of man to the Corinthian church. And so there's a whole thing that happens in there. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul's writing here to people who are believers in Jesus Christ, who are in the church in Corinth, and, and who have written him asking for some advice on some things. They're like, you know, we got some questions about this stuff. Okay. And if you look at the very first verse of chapter 7, this is what Paul is responding to here. He says, now, as for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Okay? Do you know this in the Bible? It's good for a man not to marry. Other translations like to say, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Because apparently the church in Corinth had got so excited about Jesus Christ and relationship, they decided they were going to abstain from everything. And, and they wrote Paul. And Paul writes back and he says, okay, so as to this thing of not being with a woman... Of, of having no one in marriage. He starts it out in verse 1 of chapter 7. Now we're going to jump down a little bit past because there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. We don't have time to walk through it all. I would encourage you again on your own. You can read through here. I'm not skipping stuff. I'm just talking about the stuff that's relevant to what we want to talk about today. I'm going to pick up again in verse 7. So he says, now as to the issue of, uh, uh, you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Okay. Verse 7. I wish that all men were as I am, Paul says. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. And so here Paul is saying, and you have to hear this today, because I think in our culture, we really believe that if, you know, I'm telling you, I'm a parent of like young children. I couldn't believe when my fourth grader came and said that they were going to start going steady with somebody in the fourth grade. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I guess I don't remember being in the fourth grade. I don't know if we did that. I was kind of oblivious, I think, the girls at that point. But I, I, I can't imagine that, that in that, that kind of pressure... My kindergartner came home and said, I have a boyfriend. And I said, no, you don't. She said, yeah, yeah. And his name is, and I'm like, oh, and where does he live? Because you ain't going to have one for long. You know, they're little. You can get their hands right around their neck. Uh, um, I, I wonder, what is it in our society that we are putting so much pressure that a kindergartner would be wondering, where is he? When will I find him? Kindergarten. Now, you see, it's kind of funny when it's little and cute, but what about whenever you're in college? What about whenever you're 30? And here's the tragedy. We say to people, I'm sorry, you're not, you're not complete yet. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says here, I wish that you were all like I am. I wish you were all like me. He says, I wish that if those who were not married yet wouldn't marry. Why would Paul say that? What is he? he, he is he crazy? Why is he saying these things? He's making a case here that our completeness is not found in another human being. He's making a case here that our completeness is found in Jesus Christ. That relationship is restored in Jesus Christ. And that that should be our primary concern, not whether or not we have a spouse. And Paul directs here and he says, um, 
Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So Paul has chosen this path for himself. He has chosen to not be married. He's chosen to be complete as an individual person. If you or I were to say to Paul, well, Paul, you know, uh, I get what you're saying there, but you're, you're just kind of broken. He would say, I'm not broken. My life is full. We're going to talk about why in a moment. I want to read on. The, the, in verse 9, he says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So we're going to talk about that more next week as we press on. But I wanted to just mention those things. Now, here, I'm going to pick up in verse 17 because Paul covers a whole bunch of stuff here about being single and why. And this is what Paul says. He, he gets to a whole bunch of stuff about what you should do if you're married to an unbeliever and stuff. But this is what he says. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him and to which God has called him. I want you to see what's happening. So God is sovereign over where the person is right now. And God is sovereign over where the person is being called to be. He is sovereign over both those things. And Paul says we should be comfortable in those things and where we are and what God's called us to, we should find peace in that. This is the rule, Paul says, that I lay down for all the churches. Paul was a great church planter, and this is what he told all the churches. Be content where you are. Find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He asked some crazy questions here. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? Then he should not become, become uncircumcised. That's a neat trick, by the way. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? Then he should not be circumcised. This is what Paul says. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts for us. Each one should remain in the situation in which he was, in which he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who is a slave when he is called by the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, those who are free when he was called becomes Christ's slave. And so he's making a case here and saying, and I'll read verse 23. He says, you were bought at a price. Don't become slaves to men. You see, and he's saying that. He's saying, your freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Your completeness is found in Jesus Christ. Your call is found in Jesus Christ. And your current situation is found in Jesus Christ. And we have to believe that as followers of Jesus. We have to believe that for ourselves. And so there's a truth that if you and I are in a situation and we're kind of lamenting, you know, that we're, 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 we're not complete yet, we're tr it's, it's, fault, it's idolatry. Because we believe things. And we believe this in other ways too, not just marriage. We believe whenever I get that job, I'll be complete. Whenever I, I get that promotion, I'll be complete. Whenever I have that house, I'll be complete. Whenever all this fear about a tax is over, I'll be complete. And it's not true. You'll be no more or less complete in your life until you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then you're complete. You find your completeness in him. So I, I want to affirm that 100% as we start this, as we get into the series, that singleness is not brokenness. I'm going to share a few more verses here from... Um, Picking up in verse 25 of, of 1 Corinthians 7. So this is what he says. Now about virgins, right? I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is found trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Because remember, the thing they wrote about was, well, what should we be doing here? Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, Paul says. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I love that verse, by the way. That's why we have to do a sermon series on marriage right there. Thank you, Paul. Um, and I want to spare you all this trouble. You see, I told you earlier, it's hard. It's hard. Um, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. 
From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they don't mourn. Those who are happy as if they were not. Listen to this next one. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as though they're not engrossed in them because this world in its present form is passing away. Now, what's wild about that is here's the Corinthians, and they come to believe in Jesus. And they're so excited about the Messiah and the promise, and they're waiting for the return of the Savior. They're waiting for him to come back. And they're saying, should we cast off all marriage? Should we stop having sexual relations with one another? Should we give it all up and wait? And Paul says, stay where you are. But he says, you're not sinning if you do it. But anything that you do in this time, in this world, you have to see it as temporary, not permanent. I want to say that again. Anything that you or I do, because here's the problem. We can get cynical. And we can be like, well, that was 2,000 years ago, right? I feel sorry for the guy who took the vow of absence because time was short, because that brother had plenty of time, you know? Paul said, if you're going to burn with passion, go ahead and get married. But don't view it as an eternal thing, because the time is short. And everything in this world is passing away. We talked a few weeks ago about C.S. Lewis and his book, Surprised by Joy, and how he had, had, they had the realization, him and his wife, that they couldn't go to eternity together. And that's where I want to turn the next thought of we're laying the foundation for these relationships in our lives. So we know that um, God created us for relationship. We know that singleness is not brokenness, right? And the next thing that I want to talk to you about is marriage. So there are those of you who chose to get married, and, and there are those who are going to choose not to get married or going to wait and be content until God shows you what your calling in life is. Praise God for that kind of faithfulness. But here's the thing I wanted to show you next here. This comes from Jesus' own lips. Uh, marriage is not eternal. You see, and, and we'll start to, if we start to look at a big picture of life, we start to go, wow, we're all hung up on this thing. You know, I'm in kindergarten. And I don't have a boyfriend yet. It's passing away. And, and some of you, it might be like a shocking thing. You might be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, Paul just wrote to us in Corinthians that time is short. Now I want to share with you from the gospel of Matthew. And this is Jesus speaking himself. I want to share this. It's uh, Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33, 687. Get your, get your eyes on it if you would. I, I think that engagement is the key to, to wrestle yourself with this. This isn't about, you know, um, you making me happy or not happy. I hope that you're engaging with, with God directly. That's the only way change happens. So here's the story that, that uh, we get from the Gospel of Matthew. By the way, the Gospel of Matthew is a written account of the good news. Matthew was so excited about what he saw in Jesus that he went and wrote it down. And that's what we get here is the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 23 says this, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him, him as Jesus, with a question. Rabbi, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right down to the seventh brother. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at this resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Okay, now we're going to stop there a minute. We're going to read on in a second, but I want to set that up again because this sounds like one of those math problems you get on a test. You're like, the train leaves the station. You're like, what? You know, come on. 
And that's what the Sadducees were doing. They were like, they're like, okay, we got one for you. you know? As a matter of fact, if you read this in context, what happens, this is the second of three tests that they give him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. It's like they're taking their turns trying to like stump the Jesus. You know? and, uh, and he's not stumpable. Matter of fact, if you read on, he stumps them, and, the, and he just totally puts brakes on all of their theology. Beautiful thing. But, um, but, so, but we have here this, this habit, this practice that they have made in their culture about marriage. And is this, that if you were a woman in this society, you had no representation without a husband. So you really were incomplete, legally incomplete. You know? We hear some of that in our own society, don't we? About how we don't have our rights unless we're married. Well, here, here's the thing, you see. This is their habit. You get married to your husband, that gives you rights. But you have to have children. And if you don't have children, you lose. You don't have any rights because you don't have any children. So then you were given to your brother, which this kind of sounds crazy to us, to me. I don't know. I'm an only child, but that'd be weird, you know. Um, I feel bad for Chris. So, I mean, one, one Dempsey's enough, isn't it? So, all right. But, but this poor lady in this example, it's a hypothetical. She gets passed down, you know, husband to husband. And the Sadducees say, okay, so you believe in resurrection. So here's my question, Jesus. Then at resurrection, whose wife is she? Ha, 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 Right? You see the problem here. She's been married to seven husbands. And Jesus answers this way. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living and when the crowds heard this answer, they were amazed. Now, I'm not sure if you or I are amazed by the answer, but here's what Jesus says. I'm a little amazed by this truth that we just talked about, which is that marriage isn't eternal, okay? That it's, it's for a while. Because this is what he says. He says, um, you, you, I want to do two things in this passage of Scripture, because I don't want to miss the point of the Scripture. The point of the Scripture is this. People were coming who didn't believe you could be raised from the dead. That was the big issue, and that's what this teaching is really on, is on being raised from the dead. And Jesus says about this eternity that you and I are facing. Because you might be here today. You might say, well, I don't believe in resurrection. I had a friend of mine who says, I don't believe in hell. You believe in it. You go there. That's what he tells me all the time. I'm not going. <laughs> well, guess what? You might not have a say in that. God might have a say in that. And here's Sadducees, and they're saying, ah, we don't believe in this resurrection thing. So how about this hypothetical? And Jesus answers the question. But here's what he says to them, and I don't want you to miss this, because maybe you're one of those who doubts resurrection is possible. Here's Jesus' answer in, in a twofold part. The first is this. You don't understand Scripture. If you don't believe the dead can be raised, you don't understand Scripture. Now, I'll remind you that when he said this, Jesus was alive. That's hard for us to shift back, but he was alive. And he said, if you don't believe in resurrection from the dead, you don't know what scriptures say. You know, the scriptures for the Sadducees was the Old Testament. If you or I standing here today and we're like, we just don't believe in it. Jesus would say to you or I, here's your problem. You don't know what the Bible says. You don't know. Because if you knew what it said, you would know about resurrection. Here's the second thing. You don't know what scriptures say, and you don't understand the power of God. Jesus said these words. That's a big deal. Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus knew what Scripture said about resurrection. And Jesus knew the power of God. And that's why Jesus went to a cross. Because that wasn't the end for him. You and I look at that and we go, well, that's, a, that's an execution chamber. That's it. It's over. Psh, finished. 
And Jesus says, you don't understand scripture and you don't understand the power of God because that ain't it. That ain't the end. So that's his first thing about this passage that I don't want you to miss is that it's really a question about God's power and what he has said. And what God said is that you will be raised and I have the power to do that. And that's a, that should come as news to you and to me. But here's his answer about the secondary issue, which is this issue they throw up about marriage. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Okay, and so he makes a comment here that's not eternal. Now, I know for some of you, your Hallmark cards and stuff, or you're just crushed by this news. Okay, and I'm not trying to be mean today, but I think that's what the scriptures say. I think that that's what it reads. I did some studying. I always do. And there's people who say, well, what they're saying is there'll be no new marriages in heaven and you won't be up in heaven trying to find your spouse and stuff. And you know what? I I'm, I'm satisfied to trust God with it because I don't understand what's beyond that death's door. I'm just going to show up and see what Jesus has for me, you see. But we have to at least acknowledge the possibility that marriage is not eternal. This changes things for a couple of reasons. First of all, and by the way, our own vows bear out to be true, don't they? What do we say when we get married to somebody? Till, yeah. But this is kind of shocking news. If you start to look at 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, if you're going to burn with passion, then get married. You start to see that, that marriage is for a little while. Marriage is for, for our time on earth. Marriage is a calling that God has for us. Marriage is a, is a purpose for us. But it, it's not the only way that God moves in our lives. It's not the only way. Because God has such a bigger picture in mind that you or I don't ever look at. He has this thing called eternity he's working on. He ain't worried all the time about what's going to happen tomorrow because he has, you know, eons, infinity ahead of him. He's got plans. And therefore, in his life, in his view of life, he has a better view than you or I do. He has a bigger view. And so Jesus says, in this place, people will not marry or be given to marriage. I'm going to let that up. I'm going to caveat this in a little bit. And I'm going to say this, because some of you might be offended right now. You're like, you know what, then? I ain't come back for this series because you just said that marriage is an eternal. <laughs> okay? And I want to spend, my Chris already told me, I want to spend forever in heaven with you. We're going to dance around up there, right? And, I mean, no more tears and stuff. It'll be great. Oh, listen. There are people who say that, that, that the established marriages, you're going to know. You're going you're gonna to know one another. Man, I'll tell you what. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? I hope I see all of you there. That'll be good news for me. It'll be good news for you. We worry about one person. I want to see my wife. I want to see my kids. I want to see my dad. I want to see everybody in heaven. Here's the other thing. You always hear people say this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to, you know, whatever. When I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to God about some things. I love that one. When I get to heaven, I'm going to go see great-great-grandpa so-and-so. I heard about him. When I get to, I, I can't imagine people, if we're talking for real about the God who breathed life into us, the God who, who formed man out of dirt, the God who created everything that you see and you enjoy and you love to pet and look at and you thank God for, if the moment comes that we're face to face with his glory and his majesty, his eternal presence, I'm not sure what we're going to be looking for, <laughs> you know? I don't know. But I'm going to trust God with that moment. We'll be like angels, Jesus says in God's presence all day. That's a beautiful thing. And he goes back to the issue and he says, do you not know that God is the God? Listen to what it says. God is the God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Those dudes are dead. 
And that's what he's saying is he's not God of the dead. He's God of the living. He's not, he's not, Jesus isn't saying that he's not their God. He's saying he's their God and they're alive. You see, it's true for you and for me. So we've kind of started this out a little bit and we say, okay, so this is, now wait a minute. So marriage is for a little while. I mean, you know, and, and, and again, we're going to caveat that and say marriage may not be eternal. I and mean, we can't say that's the whole purpose is if you don't get a, a husband or a wife here on earth, you're never going to have one. I don't think the scripture ever says that, you know. I mean, we're going to be complete. We're going to be before our God who created us. We're going to be like Adam and Eve in the garden. I, I hope that you believe that the city we're going to end up in the city with God. It's a beautiful thing. Well, so here's the, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. So um, we're going to go back to God and our creation narrative. And if it's not about singleness and it's not about marriage, what is it about? And it's this, that God desires relationship. That God desires relationship. We're going to look at one more passage together today in our Bibles. And so if you would turn to the Gospel of John, it's going to be a little to the right of... Uh, I push this twice. God desires relationship with us. I'm going to, here you go. John 3, 26. I'm going to turn there with you. The Gospel of John is a beautiful thing. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it for yourself. If you were like me and you're a skeptic, just read the Word of God. I can't say enough. It will change your life. Here we go. John, John chapter 26. Um, now, John was the one who was sent before Jesus, and he was living at the same time as Jesus. We talked about John just a few weeks ago. And this is what it says in verse 26. It says, they came, they, by the way, are the disciples of John, those who are learning from John how to be followers of God, of Yahweh. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one, who the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I have said to you, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of the Christ. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine and is now complete. I want you to see what John is saying here. John was one who was, who was waiting for God's Messiah. He was waiting for the Savior. He was waiting for this eternal impact when God's own son would put foot on the earth. And whenever he saw Jesus, he had proclaimed that it happened. He says it right here. He says, and that joy is mine. I have seen the bridegroom. But I want, want you to see here today, church, I want you to know this in your mind, is that you belong first to God. You belong first to Jesus Christ. And God desires a relationship with you. See, we're all hung up on our earthly relationships, but God wants to know you. doesn't matter if you're married or you're single. He wants to know you. My favorite verse out of this is where it says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. You see what's happened is John's disciples are worried because Jesus is getting all these followers over here. And they're going, hey, he's baptizing and he's getting followers. And John says this, he's the owner. He's the bridegroom. Of course they're running to him. Of course they're drawn to him. They're his bride. And the truth is that this, this need that we have for relationship exists primarily with God, this restoration, this redemption primarily exists in our relationship with God because it's broken. It was ruined by sin. 
It was ruined by sin of Adam and Eve. It was ruined by our own sin. It was ruined by our own choices. It's ruined by the way we choose to live our life. And it's broken and flawed. And into that place, a bridegroom comes and he looks at you and I and he says, this one's mine. You see, that's the thing about what we're going to do when we get to heaven. I think we're going to be like, oh, that's my Lord. Face to face. Now see, that is eternal truth. And those are things that are worth focusing on. We belong to Jesus, the bridegroom. We're his. We're bought by his blood, and we're his in redemption, and we're his in resurrection, and we're his for eternity. And you or I can be there with him. The very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, this is one of the last verses. I love that we've gone from Genesis to Revelation today. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. That's the revelation. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears me say, come. And here's the last verse. Let the one who is thirsty come to me. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is eternity in heaven. This is Jesus, the bright and morning star. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. Be restored in relationship. Today, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. We're going to sing a final song today. But I tell you this, earlier that verse said, for, for the bride, the bride should say, come. For those who hear the bride, they should say, come. And today, I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ, the Savior, to be in relationship with him. And I'm going to ask you to consider I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to sing a final song. I'm going to wait up here today. If you want to come and receive Christ as Savior today, this is, this is not magic. It's the word of God. There is the coming eternity for you and I. There's a coming resurrection for you or I where we will have that opportunity to see face to face. And so today... I'm just going to invite you. It's a free gift. I, I just, I can't get over it. I can't get over it, church. I'm not sure if you can. So I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to say, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you want to come this morning and pray with me, it's not magic, but it can be yours today. And I'm not, I, I, my prayer, Father, you know this is true. My prayer all day has been that I'm not in the way. But if you need to be reconciled to God today, you come and you receive and if you've been wandering, you're lost, and you're out there, and you, you knew one time maybe or something, but you need to be reunited and restored to your relationship with Christ, you come today. I'd love to pray with you. And then anyone that needs to pray, you can pray. This is God's house. This is God's place. And so you come and you pray. As the band leads us in worship, I'm going to invite you to respond to the word of God.